On this week's episode, it's the return of the Expanse. What NASCAR drivers reached the finish line this decade. And it's time to go back to 1984 with Wonder Woman. All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford reaching out to you from Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, the Lakers Fast Break Podcast, and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great shows. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is the completer of Christmas shopping, a.k.a. Mr. Blue Monday. You got to check out what he's doing today on Topicocalypse. Also, as well, his great book, Congratulations, You Suck, and our website, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. It is my good friend. Gutting it out today, but just don't ask him to sing a high note. It is Josh Peterson. Hope you're feeling better, my friend. Thanks, man. I, I don't know. It's like I, today my voice started going out. I hate I hate that feeling, you know, when you want to talk and it's all just like, yeah. But uh, yeah, Christmas shopping is done. It's crazy out there, and you know we're two weekends away from Christmas. So I'm curious, like, what it's going to look like come, uh, you know, weekend before. Well, I'll tell you what it's going to look like for Christmas for all your people that you shop for. They're all going to open it up, and they're going to find copies of "Congratulations, You Suck." Oh, they should only be so lucky. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But I hear you on that when it comes to losing your voice Saturday at the event that we had which is a Retro City Games charity game day and also free video game day that we had there at Retro City Games at their Henderson location, plus also their Town Square location here in Las Vegas. I was chirping up a frenzy, trying to go ahead and make sure as the the master of operations, so to speak, of what was going on for the day, making sure everything was flowing nice and well, that yes, my voice started to go out. So I, I definitely agree with you on that. But it was a great event. So many people turned up. I cannot thank enough everyone out there who was part of it, all the competitors in both the Super Smash tournament and also as well the Mario Kart tournament. Thank you so much. Big, big thank you to the following people. First, let me thank Doug and Nicole from Retro City Games. Also as well, the great groups that we had there, Serious Damage, Decaying Tigers, and also as well DJ Slumberland. Just check out the Retro City Games Facebook page, and you'll see performances by each of them. Also, as well, I want to thank so much Salvador Villa, Yelthin, and the great folks at Stormrush Gaming for running the tournaments there. Also, want to thank Octavio from Go Brothers Gaming for stopping by and being a major part of the day's events as well. And again, all the crew at Retro City Games cannot thank you enough. So much is going to the proceeds in regards to Three Square of Las Vegas, UMC Children's Hospital, and the Girl Scouts of Southern Nevada. Troop 249, who are going to distribute clothing to needy kids at elementary schools in Clark County. So I cannot thank enough everybody who contributed. And if you didn't get a chance to do so, Retro City Games at both locations, Town Square in Las Vegas, and also as well, their Henderson, Nevada location, are also accepting donations that will continue to go to charities throughout the holidays. We'll make sure it gets to them. And we truly appreciate it from all of us at Pop Culture Cosmos. But it is going to be a great episode, my friend. Marcus De La Garza is going to be in the house here, here in a few. He's going to talk at length with me in regards to his hopes for The Expanse because it's coming out this week on Amazon. 
Plus also as well, his choices, since these are NASCAR man in the know, he's going to let us know exactly his thoughts on the 10 best NASCAR drivers of the decade. And also as well, he threw in some great things in regards to the 10 best consumer products of the decade as well. Also, we're going to go ahead and talk about with all the stuff that's going on in the life of Ryan Reynolds, could this be the best chance for a hit movie outside of the Deadpool universe in Free Guy? Plus, also, we will pay respect at the end of the show to the contributions made by Rene Abajanois from Star Trek and also as well Carol Spinney of Sesame Street. But my friend, the first thing we got to talk about, you know what? You're going to send me on assignment next year when this happens at Comic-Con XP in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro, because a lot of stuff went down. Eternals footage got shown. Birds of Prey footage got shown. Black Widow footage got shown, all this stuff behind the scenes. It was a huge event. I think we're going to have to go ahead and fund me some money, my friend, and go ahead and send me on next year's Comic-Con XP down there. Right. Okay. We're, we're, we're taking donations right now if you want to send us out there. But my big question here is why there? That's what I want to know. But I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's a fairly new Comic-Con that's out there in Rio de Janeiro. A lot of entities from pop culture all around the world just dove in for it. It just seemed like a lot of people were very interested on it, especially all these movies and television shows that were down there showing off footage. So it was a big deal this past weekend in Rio de Janeiro. And, of course, one of the biggest things that came out of it, and I believe what closed out the show there, was Wonder Woman 1984. And they showed off the trailer for the first time there but they also showed it off on their social media later on with the trailer coming out. So you got a chance to check it out, my friend. And I want to hear your thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984 featuring a revised or newer version again. This wouldn't be the first time it's been done, but a revised version again of New Order's Blue Monday. It's a group from 1984. Oh, got it. Okay. Well, okay, so for starters, I dig the timeline, right? I love the 80s feel. I love the shopping mall and the the way that the soundtrack or the uh, trailer throws you in there with that cool 80s soundtrack. I'm not sure the fanny packs were right in yet uh, in 1984, but all right, we'll give it to you on that. Well, I, I feel, too, that, like, the 80s is an untapped, you know, outside of Stranger Things, is an untapped uh, source of of entertainment you know like we have all these shows that are doing 80s stuff now because people are feeling nostalgic and they love that timeline and i'll admit myself there is something very interesting about it even you know look at the way that ready player one kind of taps into the old 80s video games people love that stranger things people love that there's something about that decade that just feels very magical when you put a superhero into that decade it becomes something else entirely like i loved you know, seeing the way that her costume stuck out, you know, amidst all those backdrops and all the clothing and all that stuff. There's something about, there's a special shine to it that I, I couldn't describe, but it was very eye-catching. And then, you know, Steve Trevor coming back, how? You know, how is he coming back? I love the man at a time. It feels like it's, you know, a take on of Captain America, but there's something about like her explaining, you know, oh, hey, that's a trash can. Like there's there's an element of comedy to that. And, you know, lastly, I like the uh, writing the lightning, like literally, like that was really cool. I have high hopes for this film. Like she can stand on her own. She doesn't need the Justice League. She is her own person and she is capable of, you know, 
moving forward in her own world and her own film. And like, I'm very excited about that just because it looks, it looks big, you know, and it looks like the, we're not going to get like a 10 second climax, you know, when she's fighting the antagonist, we're going to get something that, that feels real and feels fleshed out. And I'm really like anxious to see that because, you know, this movie has been talked about for so long, but we haven't seen anything of it. But now that I've seen footage, I am very excited about it. What are your thoughts out there on the latest Wonder Woman 1984 trailer? Did you get excited for the movie coming up? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. All right, my friend, before we head on out and talk at length to my good friend, Marcus De La Garza, I want to ask you real quick, Free Guy was another trailer that was introduced at Comic-Con XP in Brazil, which, again, you got to send me to, hopefully, next year. You know, I'll be counting on it. But Free Guy starring Ryan Reynolds as a NPC, so to speak, that comes to life and doesn't want to be an NPC anymore in a, let's call it a GTA-style type video game. So I want to hear your thoughts on it. I think the premise is very funny. I like it. It's a little, it's very original, even in a world of Hollywood where you see all the stuff that's not original. So I want to hear your thoughts on Free Guy. And could this be the Ryan Reynolds hit outside of Deadpool we've been waiting for for a long time? You know, I love the way the trailer opens by the studio that brought you Aladdin and Lion King and yada yada twice. Is that made by Fox? Is that a Fox film? It is a Fox film. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. But yeah, it's such an interesting concept because you play these games and you see the same NPCs over and over again, giving the same quests, doing the same thing. And it's, it's interesting to me because in these games, there's what's called adaptive AI and they're adapting to what the players are doing. It's something that I've always wondered about, like, do these characters adapt to everything everyone else does? And what happens when, you know, are they going to reach a point where they not become self-aware, but become, you know, start doing something they're not supposed to. And that's kind of what this movie reminds me of. It's a very funny concept. It's outside of the box, so to speak. It looks like it's kind of mocking, you know, a mixture of PUBG and Fortnite and, you know, like you said, GTA. I'm curious, like, it looks like it's pretty violent. I'm, I'm curious what the rating's going to be. Like, all the people that it seems to be making fun of, are they even going to be allowed to go watch it? Who knows, my friend, but it is very <laughs> promising, and uh, I'm excited for it. I think it's something that's a real novel idea. I mean, we've seen video game-based theme movies type deal before, and they really, for the most part, been very flat, even when they're trying to be in somewhat original format. Not not based off of a video game property per se, but the video game world. Yeah, we've seen that fall flat before. I mean, there's been countless times where they've been really not, not up to snuff. So let's hope this movie, Free Guy, that's coming up in 2020, will fit the bill. And again, Ryan Reynolds' career, since he's hit, hit big with Deadpool, hasn't been all sugar and roses. But outside of Detective Pikachu, which really wasn't that good of a movie, but it did well enough financially, he really hasn't had much to crow about you know, outside of Deadpool. He only seems to ever play one part. There's an action movie that he's in that just came out recently, or it's about to come out, that's not Free Guy. Six Underground. Yeah, so like that looks like a takeoff of Fast and the Furious. And even in that, he's playing the same character he always plays, like the sarcastic, uh, I guess in this in this case, he's supposed to be like the, the leader or the badass or whatever, but he's still the sarcastic character that he always seems to play. Like I wish he would play something that had a little more depth to it, but at the same time, like, those are the kind of parts that he cherishes. Those are the kind of parts that he he looks for. So 
I feel like free guy is something that's really good for him. And if he were to stick to his genre, like he's going to, he's going to be successful, but in something that I feel like he's someone who, if he were to step outside of his genre, it's taking a huge risk for him. But even when he keeps inside his wisecracking genre, as I've told you before, when it concerns him doing PG or PG 13 stuff, it's just not that funny. It's just not that good. I've seen him in so many good roles before Deadpool, where he was again, a wisecracking guy that were really good. Like for instance, waiting, waiting is one of those just hidden jewels in his library that people need to see because he's hilarious in that film. That's yeah. an R rated movie. So anything PG he really, he hasn't done very well with. So I'm interested to see where this goes next. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, let's not forget too, that he got his career started with Van Wilder. Like that was his first movie. There you go, my friend. Absolutely. National Lampoon's Van Wilder. How could I forget? But we're both looking towards Free Guy. I think a lot of promise will be we had on it. And I, w I can't wait to see the next trailer for it because it's something that definitely both you and I at this point in time would like to see. Yeah, it, it came out of nowhere, too. Like, that's one of the greatest things about it. What are your thoughts out there on Free Guy? Are you excited to see Ryan Reynolds in something outside of Deadpool that could actually be good? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, coming up after the break, Marcus De La Garza, he returns to talk The Expanse. Also as well, his picks for the top 10 consumer products of the decade and the top 10 NASCAR drivers of the decade as well. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we're back again with the Pop Culture Cosmos. Gerald Glass, we're coming right back at you here. Well, you know, when we're talking about the great things of the decade, but also as well when we're talking The Expanse, you know I had to get him back on here. He is a good friend of the show indeed. You got to check out what he's doing today. Well, whenever you can, if you can, because he is just going all over when it concerns all the great things that are going on with, with music, drones, with NASCAR, with hunting, even when it concerns space. It is my good friend, Mr. Marcus De La Garza. And Marcus, I cannot thank you enough for being here in the middle of the month when we're talking about great things of the decade. But before we do, I know there's a lot of stuff you want to talk about when it comes to The Expanse. Well, thank you for having me back, Gerald. And thank you to the Pop Culture Cosmos family for having me back. Uh, but yes, The Expanse is very, uh, it's its heavy on my mind right now. Not heavy. It's uh, just at the forefront of my mind. And I, I think a lot of it digs into the trip I just had this weekend, I was at Kennedy Space Center over in Cape Canaveral, uh, Cocoa Beach area, and it was just a really inspiring experience. And uh, it really spoke to me as far as why I think uh, space travel and, and TV shows about space travel, movies about space travel really intrigued me. And we'll get there. But I think we really need to start with The Expanse, and we'll find a way to tie that back into cultural relevance at the end. So. That sounds good, my friend. First thing I got to hit up with you, and we've talked about this before last time we spoke and that is this, it is moving, or it has moved, or it is gone to Amazon from Sci-Fi Channel. And the first thing that comes to mind, you know, in my research in regarding to this season expanse is some of the outward claims of, of things going on within the world of the expanse that are not going to be as much because Amazon doesn't seem to be spending as much on the expanse. 
I mean, absolutely. I think if you're going to buy a series like this, you've got to put the money into it. But part of me starts to wonder, you know, whether or not we've got an issue of Amazon not wanting to let the cat out of the bag. The reviewers are getting enough information here, but not enough to where they're letting the the secrets out, which, you know, that plays a different uh, marketing strategy. And I don't know if I agree with that. And I think that could hurt them in the long run here. You know, you might scare away viewers before they even get a chance to come in and, and watch and take part and uh, enjoy the season. Um, but that being said, I think moving to the uh, moving to the uh, to Amazon and going to a new production studio there, they have a chance. And there's a few interviews I've read with Dominique Tipper, the, the woman who plays uh, Naomi and Stephen Strait, the guy who plays uh, Holden, uh, where they talk about how with Amazon, they now have the chance to slow the storylines down and give you a little bit more than what you had pre previously with sci fi network, where we've kind of jumped through um, major plot lines to kind of get us to a point where we can kind of bring everything together. And so I'm really looking forward to the season slowing things down. And the statement about the production value, I think warrants a little criti criticism to a certain extent in the sense that we're doing something very new this season. We've always been about social classes and divisions between people, right? It's always been Earthers versus Belters, Belters versus Mars, the outer planets versus the inner planets. It's always been that. We're facing new enemies on New Terra, Illus, whatever we choose to call it in the show. In the books, you know, the people that inhabit the planet before Royal Charter Energy, who is our a little bit of our antagonist this season, uh, shows up. The people that inhabit the planet before this big corporation show up, call it one thing. The corporation calls it a different thing. They've got a charter from the UN. It becomes a major mess, and it's a huge plot point for the show for the uh, season moving forward. And so we've hit this point now where I just... You know, we've kind of uh, progressed as a show in the sense that we're no log longer battling each other. We're battling the new adventures of the new planets that are uh, in front of us. You know, when the when season three ended, the green gates opened and uh, we had a thousand new worlds that we could enter and explore and find our our wonderful planet or our perfect planet or maybe whatever killed the creators that uh, created the proto molecule that was sent out to create the super highway through the galaxy. And so um, we've got some new challenges this season. We've hit this point now where we're going to see some of the familiar faces, but we're also going to see some new faces. Adolphus Murtry, he is going to be one of the predominant figures in this season. He's going to play a security uh, officer and actually the chief security officer for Royal Charter Energy, who's there on New Terra slash Illus. Uh, and he's going to try and take control of the situation from Holden. And it's going to not going to go well. I mean, we're going to see a lot of violence. It's going to be violence like we've had in years past, just less space drama. And uh, I think that may be where the thread comes in of uh, the criticism that maybe Amazon hasn't invested enough into the CGI or just production value. I think they were able to take a step back this season and maybe put more into the storyline and less on the actual visual effects. And I'm not excusing from that for that. I, I don't think that's a great strategy. That's how you lose fans. I think at the end of the day, once again, it's my good friend, Marcus de la Garza. If you have any questions for him at all on the expanse, NASCAR and so much more. You can always give us a heads up at Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter or also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos at yahoo.com. But you're excited nonetheless about the series moving over to Amazon. You think it's going to be a better chance to go ahead and, you know, for, for this either the series or the specific episodes to branch them out further to maybe pad the runtime in a positive way. That way you could get more fleshing out of the whole Expanse universe per se. 
Yeah, and that's uh, to me that's a that's the important thing here is I want to make sure that this uh, universe gets a chance to fully run in the sense that I want these storylines to to play out. I'm biased though, and I, I realize that. Uh, Gerald, how do you feel about this? I mean, where do you sit in this in this chain here? Well, I personally don't mind it in this case is because I'm going to relate it to the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian is the latest series from Disney plus to get such wide attention. And I think that it's a series that would benefit, or at least I thought initially would benefit by being on a streaming service because you could flesh it out over the course of a period of time and build that underbelly of the star Wars universe that so many people wanted to know more about. They really haven't done that as much as I liked because the the episodes are 40 minutes long. I was very surprised that they didn't go an hour long. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I take away from it as far as a detriment to it. Overall, it's still pretty positive. But the biggest detriment, I think, is if they went ahead and they fleshed it out over an entire hour, I think the, the series itself would be far better served. This is where a series like The Expanse can take what it was limited to in a commercially driven type of runtime and take it even further now that it's on a streaming platform you could extend and expand the end episodes to build the universe even more build the plot lines even better without having a drag without having any pacing issues you can make those hardcore fans and those fans interested in the product like yourself and also the fans that are getting into it for the first time on an amazon prime platform even more knowledgeable about the expanse universe and what you want to get out of it by extending the runtime even more and you now have that option and availability to do so on a streaming format I, I, I get your point, and that's you know I think that's the hope that we all have, right? That you know when when the, the expanse and literally any show hits a streaming platform, we hit this uh, this point where we have this hope of yes, they have no bounds anymore, you know. And you know in the later seasons of Game of Thrones, we saw this where they'd bounce between hour long episodes, hour and a half long episodes. They would do forty five minute episodes sometimes, and so you want to see the full utilization of the streaming platform. And I, I don't want to be constra uh, constrained by the conventional time values of of TV, you know, broadcast television. And so, um, yes, I do agree with you there where, you know, if it feels like we're not fully utilizing the platform yet, but at the same time, we've got what five days now until we actually get the full uh, release of the season. And who knows? I mean, like I was saying earlier, I think the reviewers have only seen the first six episodes at this point, And I think that's going to be a huge distinction at the end of the day. I mean, I guess, you know, uh, if if rumors are to believe to be true, you know, the, the, the Expanse Discord is very active and a lot of people are talking about the fact that there's a little more character development than we've had in the past, or at least that's been uh, that's what's been speculated. Uh, and so I'm very excited to see some of that character development when it comes to Naomi and maybe even uh, Alex or uh, I would love to see Amos developed as a character in the show, but I'm not sure if he's um, worth the investment yet for the audience. And that's something I also wanted to ask you as far as where you would like to see the series grow is obviously because it's such a character-driven series, and it has to be because of the limitations that it had in the format that it was on. And uh, well, that's what I want to ask you, but you still want to see the series grow and expand and as far as the characters are concerned because that's where The Expanse really shines. So I ask you, my friend, which characters do you really want to see grow and expand? Or, you know, if especially for someone that is jumping 
now onto the Expanse bandwagon. Now that's going to be available on Amazon and it's going to be right there advertised in front of their face. If they have the, the, the you know Amazon Fire Stick and that's the first thing that pops up is the advertisement for the Expanse and whatnot. So I want to ask you, what characters would you go with as far as just being at the forefront and expanding more of their roles if you go ahead and, and make the expanse so much more attractive to not only your audience, you know, the hardcores and whatnot that are migrating over from sci-fi to Amazon, but also as well those interested in actually watching the product for the first time? Yeah, I, and honestly, I have two people in mind right away. It's Naomi Nagata and... Avasarala. Well, they've both been developed strong, but I think there's a lot more to get out of them. Naomi's a genius in the books, and that's something that I don't think we've really uh, accurately reflected in the books or in the TV show is that she's self-taught. She's a literally a rocket scientist, and she understands, you know, how the uh, the inner workings of the ship work. And I mean, I think we kind of downplay that just watching it, but I mean, this is still a rocket ship flying through uh, space in a hard vacuum where conditions are harsh. And uh, that's where it really ties in for me with my experience I had this weekend at Kennedy Space Center. And for those that are listening, I got to spend yesterday at Kennedy Space Center, Saturday, uh, December the 7th, and kind of go through and experience the Apollo, uh, the Apollo program and their exhibits. And uh, one of the things that really resonated with me was the importance we put on some of these men post-mortem, I guess. The you know, we all build up these astronauts to be gods in our minds, I think, and, and they are to some extent, right? They are uh, the best that uh, maybe our nation has to offer at that given time in their fields, you know, whether it's uh, in courage or an actual understanding of the, the rocket science or whatever they're doing. But they're very intelligent men. They're, ex uh, they're exquisite men, you know, and, and men and women. You know, we've had very successful citizens and, and even non-citizens come through our astronaut training program that have uh, done a lot to advance science throughout the, the world. And so if I could tie anything in, it would be that, you know, I'd like to see the development of Naomi because in the book, she's a very central character. She's very, you know, she's a genius. She knows how to figure anything out. I don't think we've seen it throughout the TV show as much as, and the same thing with Officer Alla. We've seen her be a bad lady. Uh, uh, there's another word I guess I was looking for there, but you know, she's been a, a stern figure and she's been a very direct figure in the sense that she gets done what she wants to get done. And I, I really appreciate that, uh, out of her, but she's growing into a new position here. She's taking over a, a larger role in the UN as we start the season. And she's making a lot more judgment calls that are going to impact the, uh, solar system, uh, and in its entirety. So if I could see the development of both of those characters, I think both of them are very relatable to the audience in the sense that uh, they've got a lot of universal traits, you know, in the sense, or not in the sense, but, you know, Naomi's very intelligent. She's very loving, very caring. Um, she's always looking out for everybody else. And obviously, Sarala might be the best political genius I've ever ever seen represented in a TV show. Um, she's always thinking six steps ahead. And even when she's not and she's caught off guard in the book series, uh, she always finds a way out. And it's those are two of the characters, I think, that are going to really blossom this season, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. And hopefully that will be the case. But overall, you're excited for the move from sci-fi to Amazon. And overall, in the long run, you think it's going to be something that's very beneficial for the series. You think Amazon will have of enough of an interest in the series to retain it long-term? Because we've seen this before where a show comes from a standard platform goes to a streaming platform 
you know, we think on the surface that that streaming platform is going to have enough faith into it, but after maybe a, a mild or a small run of a season or two, it seems to, you know, it seems to fall flat and, and get canceled thereafter. So that's something I'm worried about when it comes to the expanse, but you see something different with Amazon going forward. I can tell you my concerns there as well. And that's, um, you know, we've already been, already been renewed for season five. And that's what scares me is we jumped on the renewal early. I, I would hate to watch them not have a successful first season and then us flame out as a result of it. Uh, and then, you know, season, the, the season five, you know, the second season on Amazon doesn't go as well and it just trickles off into the darkness. That is a very big concern for me. If that happens, we had a good run on sci-fi, it could have been better. You know, you always want the storylines or the, uh, the actual writing of the CGI or, you know, the actual visual production of the show to be better. But I think we got, you know, something that, that we could be proud of. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, Amazon can do with this. That being said, I'm hopeful for this. But uh, I do, I'm a little pessimistic at times and I kind of, or not pessimistic, but I'm a little cynical at times. And I, I kind of, I see that this could also a big failure <laughs> at the same time, not to answer your question. Yeah. I, I think this could be, uh, could also be the downfall, but you know, at the end of the day, we still have the book series. I'm very tied into that. And you know, I'm on my, on my second reread of the book series now. And I, there's nothing that I've ever read that kind of compares to it and just the way it captivates my imagination. And I know that's not the same for everyone, but you know, it really drives me to want to be better. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. I think Amazon will get behind it initially, especially because of the fact they don't have a whole lot of shows right now. I mean, they just got their fall shows, some of their fall shows they've already sent out, Jack Ryan and some of the other shows that have come out. They've already gone ahead and started Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, exactly. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, that, the, the Emmy Award winning show that it is, that's the one they're really promoting right now. Jack Ryan was last month and... And after that, they, they have this gap of coming to the new shows of the second season of The Boys and whatnot. So this is a good time for The Expanse to come in, fill that gap, and be that show on Amazon Prime everybody needs to check out. This might not make any sense, but it kind of feels like a soft rollout. You know, they're going to be looking for something new, and they're going to be going back to Amazon, and it feels like we're rolling out The Expanse at the perfect time for those people to be finishing up Mrs. Maisel and look for something new. So I'm hoping... You know, the scheduling that they've got they, that they had for this fall and or actually for this month in particular, having Maisel come first, hopefully that leads to a boost in initial watch, you know, uh, initial watches uh, for season four of The Expanse. Here's something that we talked about last time I was on the show, Gerald, and you might have an answer for me. How often do the, do the streaming numbers now come out for Amazon and Netflix and all the streaming platforms? Or do we not know that information yet? Well, actually, Nielsen is now playing a major active role in the pursuit of whatever ratings there are for these streaming platforms. So they will be coming out on a more consistent basis. I still don't see it coming out like, let's say, the traditional broadcast or cable networks where you get, even the next day, you start to get ratings numbers and whatnot. I don't think yeah, you, you get, get it overnight. that quickly yet. Yeah, I don't think you get it that quickly yet, but you do see it. Like, for instance, in about the past three or four days, just before this recording, 
we got the numbers for The Irishman. The Irishman debuted on Netflix just before the Thanksgiving holiday. So that should give you relative idea. I think within the first maybe 10 days, uh, you know, the, the numbers should start releasing for what the first, you know, um, you know, episodes of The Expanse, how well it does. And the more important thing is when it comes to Amazon's Expanse, it's not if people are watching the first episode, not even if people are watching the first and second episodes, is how many people are actually continuing through the entire season. That is the most important number Amazon wants to see. So if you really want to support The Expanse, that is what you have to go ahead and do. So you have to follow it all the way through the end, or at least a great portion of it to, in order for it to feel like a success. Because it's similar to what you would see on, on any type of show. Okay, the first episode does great, but then it starts losing viewership little by little by little by little by little. And, and of course, there's going to be a, even a little bit amount of drop when you're concerned the whole type of season because not everybody wants to go ahead and binge you know, series and whatnot. And sometimes they'd like to just get a little bit of taste. But the more people that go through the season of The Expanse, the more interest Amazon will have in retaining it. Absolutely. And that's one of those things that, you know, if we want to see a great season five, we need to make sure we all put in the, uh, the effort and watch season four, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, my friend, I know there's a couple more things we want to definitely talk about before we head on out, because we are talking a lot of great things when it comes to this decade in pop culture. And you're our NASCAR man in the know. And after another win by Kyle Bush this season, his second, and I, you know, when I say that, it seems kind of surprising to see, you know, because I've always seen him dominate, you know, at or near the top of the standings each and every year of this decade. So he's definitely one of the top drivers of this decade, in my opinion. But is he the top? I'll leave that to you to, to decide, my friend. So I want to hear your thoughts on the top 10 NASCAR drivers of this decade. So I would say number one for me, has got to be Jimmy Johnson. Uh, I know that he started his win campaign in 2006, and he won five straight between 20, 2006 and 2010, uh, and that was impressive. But then he rebounded and, and won another one in 2013 and another one in 2016, uh, both with totally different body styles of those cars. It really showed how great of a uh, driver he was, right? And to me, his dominance, I know it wasn't as great over the last three years uh and even no literally the last three years because he won in 2016 i know his dominance hasn't been there in the last three years but i think if you take just his uh entire portfolio of wins i would still give him the edge for 2010 that being said i think kyle bush is going to take over for the 2020s and i know we've already seen him win two i think he's got the possibility to win two more in the next five years and uh i i don't feel bad saying that I, I don't regret saying that at all. I, and if it doesn't come to fruition, you know, that's, that's, it's not going to hurt my feelings, but I do think this man is one of the most talented drivers we've seen in a very long time. Um, has no quit shows up to the track every weekend and is ready to go. We saw, and I, I say we, but you know, it, really the, the Reddit NASCAR uh, community started making comments throughout the playoffs about how Kyle Busch looked a little distracted and it came out after the season that, him and Samantha Bush were going through some in vitro fertilization stuff. And, you know, that might have been a distraction. That being said, the man still showed up every week and was a contender every week for the win. 
And I mean, there's not a lot of professionals you see out there that can put all of their family stuff aside, show up and still win a race, <laughs> you know, that's uh, or, you know, you win a football game or win a baseball game, win a hockey game, whatever it is. You know, we do see people show up and have those monumental occasions when a loved one passes away or what have you. But, um, you know, this man was facing some sort of adversity at home and still showed up every week and delivered a high caliber um, performance. Uh, I would say Tony Stewart's the next one on my list. And I know that he was a little bit more pre prevalent, you know, in the uh, 2000s as well. He had that 2002, the 2005, but he also won in 2011. And uh, he made a good run at his retirement year as well, whatever that was, 2015 or 2014. And as a driver, I really respect him. I think he's a he was a great driver and he's a great boss. I think he uh, he does a great job at Stuart Haas Racing. I'm sideways with Stuart Haas right now because uh, they let go of my driver, Daniel Suarez. But, you know, that's something that that was a business decision. I, I'm not going to hold that against them. You know, at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for you. And they've got a young driver in the stables that needs a ride right now. And I get that. So on top of that, Jeff Gordon, never look past Jeff Gordon. He's my number four. And I uh, firmly believe that, you know, he still deserves a place in the two thousand the 2010s. Um, obviously he didn't win any championships, uh, after 2010. Um, but he still had an appearance. He still won races. And I think simply by being in, in the conversation, Jeff Gordon deserves to be in the best drivers of the decade. I know a lot of people might disagree with me on that. A lot of people will say he didn't, you know, didn't have the win percentage that he had early on in his career, but I, I don't think that matters. You see plenty of drivers that show up and only get one win in five years and we still regard them as some sort of great driver because they had a catalog of top tens, you know? So on top of that, I think you've got to look at Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski and Matt Kenseth are, are my next three and they come in no order. And realistically the, the names that have come before here, no order, you know, they, they, I think they've had a, a tremendous impact on my life. Jimmy Johnson might be the number one just for me, but everything after that you can mix and match. I think any of those drivers can fit two through 10. But Kevin Harvick, Brad Kozlowski, the resurgence and the bad boy attitude to me, to a certain extent, you know, extent. Uh, Kenseth showed up and wasn't afraid to be the bat when somebody else was uh, willing to be the ball for him. He'd move him out of the way if he needed to, and he had no qualms about doing it, uh, especially towards the end of his career with Joey Logano in 2016, I believe it was. Brett Kozlowski another outstanding driver. I had a lot of high hopes, and you and I discussed this early on uh, in the playoffs. You know, when I came on to do the the playoff update, I had a lot of high, high hopes for uh, Brad Kislowski this this uh, playoff season, and they didn't pan out. But I don't think he did a terrible job, and I think that's something you and I can discuss, you know, on air here. But Kevin Harvick as well, I think he had, he had a great year, and uh, I would say my final three are Joey Logano, great driver. I think you know with him winning. He kind of submitted his play to, of being a worthwhile addition to this list. I think he's got a lot of potential to grow over the next two or three years. And Martin Truex Jr., you know, this is a man that won a lot of races this season. He's got a lot of potential next season. I mean, this is, he's, he's at Joe Gibbs Racing. Where else do you go from here other than up? He's really going to be something special moving forward. And I think uh, he's going to give uh, Kyle Busch a run for his money. It's going to be fun to watch. So, and last but not least, Dale Earnhardt Jr. I don't think the sport would be anywhere if it wasn't for him, you know, kind of continuing on after his dad and, and, and being a, a media figure in the sense that, you know, the man showed up every week and did his job and he was willing to meet with the media and, and always went above and beyond if he could. 
to really grow the sport and, and grow the name of NASCAR. So um, I think if you're going to to leave him out of a top 10 list of the decade is a little bit crazy in the raw sense that he grew the sport. He made the TV deals what they were. If you want to really call it what it is at the end of the day, he helped get all that funding that NASCAR was, was looking to get, you know, and it was built upon the back of his father and the drivers that came before him. But, you know, without him and the, and the, and the family name that came with it, I don't know if uh, NASCAR would be as big as it is today. Fair enough. That's a great list, my friend. I'll tell you what, I can't argue with any of the drivers on that list. They've all made their impression in this decade for NASCAR. I think that's very well thought out. And I just appreciate you going ahead and sharing your thoughts on the top 10 NASCAR drivers of the decade. So I'm hoping, like you said, for another great decade in racing, their NASCAR is once again tweaking with a lot of things, starting with the advertising, for instance. It's no longer going to be called the Monster NASCAR Series. It's just going to be called Plain Old NASCAR with four main sponsors now being a part of it uh, and uh, just kind of throwing something different in there to get more visibility back on the sport like it once had. I believe at the turn of this decade, I think, is when when a lot of people could say was was at or near its heights as far as viewership is concerned. So. Yeah, they do need to go ahead in this decade, find and maybe recapture that type of spirit once again and become a viable, visible, highly visible sport once again that that sought out, you know, outside of those rare moments in time in the season where, you know, you can get the casual fan into it. it. You know, like like we talked, like I said, in the past, you were able to get the casual fan into more races during the course of the season. You don't really have it as much now. So they're going to try and go ahead and do things to reclaim that audience once again. Yeah. And honestly, I, and you might feel differently about this, Gerald, but I think the introduction of the Gen 7 car is going to be, uh, it's going to have a tremendous impact on the sport. You know, at the end of the day, this is uh, something that, you know, I think a lot of people have been looking forward to in the sense that everyone's talking about the, the aerodynamic package each year, you know, for the last two or three years about how it's terrible and how it's ruining the racing. So I think a lot of people are looking forward to getting a new body style out there, a new uh, generation of car body out there, moving to more of a standardized chassis so that we don't have the variations that we do now and get a little more parity in the sport. And I think if that can happen, NASCAR can only uh, grow from here. That being said, we know that the track record isn't great when it comes to listening to the fans and doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, uh, that's uh, something they have to improve on that, too, in the next decade as well. <laughs> yeah. Wrapping all that up, I just want to say, I know you're talking about best consumer products of the decade right now, right? That is correct. That was something that you wanted to throw out, and I'm more than happy to because that's a great idea for a list for pop culture in the decade. So that's something I definitely want to talk to you about especially for someone like me who's heading next month into CES. You know me. I always love consumer products, so I want to hear your thoughts, man, on that. I mean, Daryl, if you have room on your couch or even in your backyard, I can bring a tent and just now come hang out and go to CES with you if, if that's what it comes down to. But I will say this is going to be a little bit of a surprising list. I'm going to go ahead and put the Apple Watch Series 3 as my number one consumer product of the decade. I think wearable devices changed uh, extremely as soon as the Series 3 was introduced and you had the 
better the upgraded heart rate monitor and we've seen since uh the series four came out and now the series five they've got the ekgs built in and so it's an even better product and i actually put the series five on on my top 10 list of the decade as well just simply because of the built-in ekg monitor i've gone through some heart issues over the last four months and so i think that that rings a little more true for me than it does somebody else but it's uh both of those products both of those uh models of product are great innovations for this decade that uh, have pushed us further and it's saving lives all the time. Uh, I can't tell you how many stories I've read about people that have gone into AFib or having heart issues that they would have never known, but their watch alerts them and they end up going to go get checked out. So for that fact alone that we're saving human lives, I think the Series 3 and the Series 5 go up to the top of my list right away. If we want to joke about something though, Number three and number four have kind of, they were definitely memes. The swag board, number three for me. And that became one of those things that was a joke within our family. Uh, my mom bought one for me and for my cousin. And uh, we wrote them around for Christmas and did everything. And, you know, after that Christmas, I'm not sure we wrote them much more, but I still have mine in my garage. I'm waiting for it to explode into a million pieces, you know, once the battery gives out. But the swag board, I know it wasn't a, a huge success, but I think as far as consumers go, it hit a very wide reaching range and a lot of people were willing to, uh, to joke about it and have some fun with it. And so, and then the same thing kind of goes for AirPods. I actually like AirPods. I don't, you know, I, I get the meme, uh, but at the same time, like I think they're valuable tools in the sense that, you know, they've kind of changed the way that even just my wife uses them, uh, for conference calls all days, all day, you know, whether it's just one in both in, uh, I think it's totally changed the way we interface with our phones uh, and it's done it for the better. We've kind of gotten a little more ergodynamic. I don't know. It's it's really, it's kind of, it's surprising to say, but I think AirPods have kind of made a, a huge change in the industry. And we're we're actually seeing that now. A lot of the wireless earphones that we're seeing are cable free and they've got a charging pack that come with them. So we're seeing the shift in the industry. That, that speaks volumes. When you can actually impact the industry, oh, that really... That that if you can move consumers, I, I'm on board with your product. And then the rest from there, it kind of just it's the free for all. Talk about the rise of the streaming platforms. I know we had early versions of Netflix streaming in 2010, but I mean we've really perfected the streaming platform this decade. If I mean, do you disagree at all? Nope. And I think it's something that, at least in the first half of the next decade, is something that's going to get even larger. A little bit more convoluted, although it can't get much more convoluted, but it will get more convoluted, I can assure you, as far as the number of options that are out there. And it might lead to cable and and or broadcast networks either rethinking about how they go ahead and do business down the road or some cable networks, maybe the smaller ones and smaller outlets out there folding altogether because streaming will be the way to go, at least for the foreseeable future. And then the final two I have on my list, the PS4 was a big one for me. And All right. I'm glad you said that, my friend, because that was on my list. So definitely. Uh, well, and it should be on everyone's list. You know, it's it's one of the most well-sold uh, platforms and, you know, through, throughout the last decade. I think it is, it is actually the best sold platform across the last, last decade. Uh, yeah, right? it is. 102.8. I was just looking up while you were speaking earlier. 102.8 sold. It just passed the original PlayStation although it doesn't hold water to what the PlayStation 2 did, but it is the biggest selling console of this decade. 
the PS4 for me was a was a game changer. I was still rocking my 360 my first year of law school, and it was uh, that was fine at the time. It was 2012. Who needed a PS4 really? Like right when they came out, and I got mine, and it totally changed the way I looked at, at video games. And um, it had a tremendous impact on my life. I know uh, you and I haven't uh, discussed this ever on air, but Destiny was my video game. I loved it. I was diehard. I played probably four or five hours a day if I could. Not joking. Five or six days a week, I played four or five hours a day. So it had a tremendous impact on my life. I really enjoyed it. And it, none of that would have been or it would have been possible without the PS4. But I really enjoyed it because of the PS4 and the system that I was on. And so I, I really think that's one of the best products of the decade. And if you really want to break it down, the PS4 actually enabled further enabled my home to be a better streaming home in the sense of all of a sudden I had better access to HBO Go, Netflix, uh, Hulu, all that stuff. And I know some of that came throughout the last few years, but and eventually we got PS View. But the PS4 really became a streaming hub for my entertainment center at some point. You know, it wasn't just for for video games. It was for all media. And that really changed the way I, I digested pop culture. To me, I think that, you know, video games unite us and and having a platform like that, it gives us something to be proud of. And, and really, video games can unite us. I've got friends that I've made, you know, overseas that I've never seen in person. But, you know, we, we played video games together every night. And I've got friends from overseas that have traveled to the U.S. just to come hang out with me and do a crawfish boil in Minnesota because that's what I was doing that weekend. So lastly, I do want to say, Uber, and I don't know how this fits on the consumer services list or consumer products. I, list. I would say so because it uses an app and things of that nature that it, it's it's consumer based driven. Absolutely. And so Uber revolutionized our decade in the sense that all of a sudden we had an app that told us anything could be at our fingertips in, in a given a given amount of time. Right. It really pushed us to believe uh, not believe, but to realize the possibilities that lay in front of us when it came to utilizing tech, specifically smartphone tech, and how it integrates into our life. Uber and eventually Lyft and everybody that else that came with it and all the uh, offshoots that have come with it, Uber Eats, Grubhub. If you want an on-demand service and there's an app for it, you can thank Uber, I think, at the end of the day. And, and I might be wrong, but I mean, that's for me, from a cultural impact, I think Uber set the stage for us here for this decade as far as apps that were opening up the possibility of same day services or, you know, even same hour or same minutes, or, <laughs> not same minute, but same, you know, same 10 minutes or, uh, services, that kind of thing. So fair enough, my friend, that's a great list. Uh, definitely like what Uber represents. Plus, not only the fact that it's revolutionized the way people think about the way they do ride share. But also, like you said, it revolutionized the way people became dependent on apps and, and the uses therein. I mean, for all other things as well. So I would add on to it personally is the thing that drives those apps is the smartphone. And the modernization of the smartphone, I think, has to be something also taken into account because the way smartphones have been developed over the course of the past decade Yes, at the end of the previous decade, we started seeing a shift in the way people were going ahead and using their phone and, and also the phones themselves. But I really think this decade really honed in on how those phones are being utilized and how those phones are constructed. Well, I, I would just say that, was it the smartphone or was it the 
technology upon which the smartphone was built, you know, was, I think to me at the end of the day, 4G LTE was the biggest uh, transition there for the, for the decade, you know, when 4G LTE rolled out in 2010, 2011, whatever it was, you know, we only had a few phones that could take advantage of it at first, but as soon as that first iPhone hit the market and all of a sudden we had this mass adoption, oh my God, all of us uh, realized the potential of what 4G LTE could be and what it meant to uh, getting service to those that may not have traditionally had service or may have had less than enthusiastic speeds when it came to their service. Fair enough. No, excellent point indeed. I, I, I agree with you on that. And just to see that evolvement over the past 10 years has been truly amazing. See the way we now utilize our phones in a totally new way than we did from the previous decade. And also on that note is also the way we perceive you know, not only viewing, but like you said, with streaming, you know, and the streaming formats, because we can literally see streaming formats on anywhere as far as what we see on, you know, our phones, our laptops, PCs, things of that nature. But the TVs that support them has also changed dramatically over the course of the last decade. Now there, there's obviously almost a standard in the way flat TVs are presented. They've become much thinner, much narrower much more high resolution 4k the the advent of 4k and things of that nature so the involvement of smart tvs have come so far over the course of this decade where now also as well it's become much more affordable because at the beginning of this decade it was much more expensive to get a flat tv of any type and now it's just basically you can get one this past black friday you could have gotten an under $200 50 to 55 inch television that would have been not uncommon if you go to your major department stores this past Black Friday. So it's something we're seeing more and more often. They're becoming cheaper and cheaper, but are also becoming much more resourceful in the way they go ahead and present that information because they have the smart apps and built in to it and, and making it much more of a consumer friendly product. So I think that was probably something that I enjoyed seeing over the course of this past decade as well. And then finally, I think the one of the big consumer products is social media itself. I mean, we're we're a, a society now that is totally driven by social media in ways the previous decades could not even possibly imagine. I with, can't agree more. Yeah, with Facebook, Twitter, Facebook at the beginning of the decade, in the middle of the decade, Twitter taking over, Instagram. Now you have TikTok. You have all these different types of social media formats and people expressing themselves in one way or the other, positive or negative. I think social media is one of the biggest things to ever hit this decade or any other for that matter. I don't want to get political at all, but I mean, if people have a chance, go look at The Great Hack on Netflix. I mean, if you want to look at the impact of social media on just our lives in the last five years, that documentary alone will tell you all you need to know uh, as far as how Facebook and Twitter and, and your general social media uh, platforms have impacted the way we've lived our lives. So. I can't disagree with either of those uh, suggestions. I mean, th those are great uh, suggestions. The smartphone alone, I, I think, has uh, tremendously impacted our lives. I have trouble now when I'm out in public and I don't have service and I'm talking to somebody and it's like, you know, we have an unresolved question and I need to Google it and it's you don't have service and you don't know what to do or, you know, you're out trying to get something accomplished and you don't know what the proper steps are and you don't have service. So you can't get on YouTube to look up the uh, proper DIY <laughs> video. I mean, my life revolves around access to the higher functions of the Internet, I guess, is the best way to put it from my perspective. And those aren't even the higher functions of the Internet. You know, those are just basic structures of show me a video and 
<laughs> let me just follow along with you so exactly i mean youtube you even throw that in there as well like you said and yeah just this whole social media change has has affected in a, such a strong way the way we we view our world as we know it well fair enough that's some great thoughts right there from my friend i cannot thank you enough for sharing with us on the show any last thoughts before we head on out no uh not at all but i just want to say happy 2020 to you and the pop culture cosmos family and uh, I look forward to coming back and talking about Daytona before Daytona happens in February and uh, whatever else that comes up between now and then. If we need to do a postmortem on season four of The Expanse, I'd love to come back and do that with you guys. Thinking we might have to do that because I want to hear your thoughts as The Expanse hits Amazon coming up very soon. Plus, like you said, just before Daytona, definitely want to get you on talking Daytona. And we new- still need to talk drone racing league as well don't exactly exactly to get a chance you send us some great stuff over not too long ago and josh and i have had a chance to take a look at it so we i i know we will have some questions for you on the drl coming up in the new year as well absolutely cool. i'm building drones nonstop, and i can't wait to share it with you guys can't wait to see it either and i'm just so happy that you're you're part of what's going on here with the pop culture cosmos now and going forward into a new decade in pop culture and marcus I cannot thank you enough, as always, for what you've done for us in the past and what you're going to do for us going forward right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis and we're back to close out the shows the pop culture cosmos if you ever need a listing of where we are where we're being played on and also as well what podcast outlets that we're on just check out our listings today pop culture cosmos and game source on facebook where you see a listing of all the radio stations and many of our over 30 different podcast outlets as well well my friend if you can Please let everyone know out there where they can get your awesome book, Congratulations, You Suck. Get it on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, powlsbooks.com, booklockerinc.com. I am going to start doing like a big campaign for it before I start working on my next book here. So that should be popping up here after the first of the year. But if you pick up a copy for someone or you pick up a copy for yourself, please leave me a review on Amazon. And, you know, love to hear your thoughts and it, it helps me kind of climb the ranks and and book sales there. And uh, I would greatly appreciate it. That's Congratulations, You Suck, available now at Barnes & Noble, also as well, Amazon.com. And you know what? It's also available pretty much anywhere you can get your books. And to all of Josh's friends, if you magically unwrap a copy in your stocking this Christmas. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank Marcus De La Garza for appearing on the show up on Friday's show, we've got DJ Slumberland. He's going to drop a tune for us on our next episode. Plus, also as well, we've got our good friend Jessica Boggs. She's not only going to give us a ratings update, but she's also going to clue us in on her favorite shows for television over the course of the last decade. And you know what? I'll throw in some of my favorite shows as well. All right, my friend, before we head on out, I do want to pay respect to Renee Abajanois, 
most notable with us pop culture fans out there of Star Trek Deep Space Nine fame. He unfortunately passed away this weekend along with Carol Spinney, who is most notably known as portraying Big Bird and also Oscar the Grouch in Sesame Street. So two very influential names in pop culture, unfortunately, taken away from us all too soon. I want to pay respects to both and thanks so much for your contributions to both of them from all of us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. <laughs>